Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Hypothesis. I'm Killian. I'm Amandine. And today we're going to talk about cancer. So cancer is, it's, it's when your cells no longer play as part of a team and they sort of act for their individual benefits. So it's sort of like evolution within your body. It's sort of the cells losing these controls that they normally have um, to all work together and they decide to yeah do things selfishly. So essentially in a lot of cancer mutation is what unleashes this evolution. So how does the cell lose control? Um, so a lot of it is through these mutations in so-called tumor suppressor genes, which Amelie's going to go a lot into. Um, and cancer most commonly occurs in epithelia. Um, and epithelia are sort of um, tissues on the outside of things, is the, the way yeah. I, I usually think of it. So that includes even on your gut, the epithelial cells that are on the outside really means like the stuff that's in contact with food and all of that kind of thing. So why is cancer most commonly in those tissues? And it's because they have a really high replacement rate. So they're constantly being exposed to different things and getting damaged. So they have to be replaced by new cells. And the more um, cells divide, so um, our replacing cells, uh, every division carries a chance of mutation. So yeah. um, essentially, the more cell division you have, the more chance of mutation and the more chance of cancer. So most tumors are monoclonal, which means they arise from just one uh, cancer cell. And a lot of the time, it's not just caused by a single mutation, but it's an accumulation of loads of mutations. So it loses lots of controls uh, before it uh, develops into an actual problem and something we can detect. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think Amelie is going to kick us off with the genetics of cancer. Yeah. yeah, so cancer is very mostly genetic. There is a little bit of non-genetic fact, a few like non-genetic factors at play, but yeah, mostly genetics. So as Killian was saying, it's all about cells dividing when they shouldn't divide and also not dying when they should. Because as we were talking about, you know, with the epithelium sort of that turnover of cells, um, it might seem a bit weird that your cells should normally die in your body. Like, I don't know, the first time I heard that, I was like, wait, that's a bit strange, but it makes complete sense. If your cells are continually dividing, they need to, you know, be gotten rid of somehow. So they need to die. And yeah, if any of those go out of whack like if any of the pathways involved in cell proliferation so that's cells dividing or in cell death if they are no longer working properly then cancer can arise um and so as Kelly was saying about the oncogene well you actually didn't mention an oncogene which I, I was like oh <laughs> I, I left that word out for, for you yeah so uh, he mentioned tumor suppressors so tumor suppressors and oncogenes are cells that when they're when they are mutated they lead to cancer so oncogenes, their mutations that lead to cancer are sort of an increase in activity or an amplified activity if there's more of them, sort of a gain of function mutation, things like that. And a lot of the time, these are genes involved in cell proliferation, but not always. Um, because I remember when I first heard about them, I was like, oh yeah, cell proliferation, that's all, but it's actually not. It can be other, other um, genes as well. So for example, if you did have a gene involved in cellular proliferation, um, you know, you have it, it works normally, your cell divides. If you have loads of them, then it's saying, okay, you need to divide more and more and more. And this is why, you know, you get more cell division, more chances for mutations to arise and more cancer. And something that's uh, really interesting actually is the type of mutations that happen in these genes. You get these recurrent mutations, which means that in different people, 
and like in different tumors and different cancer cells, um, the mutation happens in the same place in that gene. And so the reason that happens is because it's really hard to make a gene work better than it already does. Mm. You know, we talked about it before in evolution, it's, it's much easier to mess up a gene by mutating it, but it's really hard to make it better. And so that's why you find these recurrent mutations in tumor suppressor genes. On the other hand, usually they're involved mm. in suppressing tumor formation. And so if you disrupt their function, that's how you get cancer. So in those ones, you don't see recurrent mutations because it's so, it's so much easier to mess up a gene and a protein function by just mutating it in loads yeah. of random places. So if you're, you know, sequencing um, a cancer cell, uh, like the DNA, if you're looking at the different bases, so the A, T, Gs and Cs, you'll see lots of the mutations all over the gene as opposed to in one specific place when you're looking at tumor suppressors. And so some tumor suppressors are genes like ones involved in DNA repair, you know, that would suppress tumor because as we were saying, cancer arises from mutations being in genes. And one of the most famous um, tumor suppressors is P53. And so, um, yeah, that one is, uh, yeah. you can get this thing called a dominant uh, negative mutation. So this is where, as opposed to a deletion of the gene or a loss of function, which also can arise in tumor suppressors, the dominant negative one is that you get a protein, um, a protein is transcribed or no, yeah. Yes, um, transcribed. Yeah. Translated. Yeah. <laughs> translated, <laughs> translated. That's translated. the word. <laughs> transcribed. Yeah. You trans translate to get a protein. <laughs> but the protein is a bit messed up. And if you just even have one allele that's mutated, it'll basically mess up all the perfect proteins. So mm. yeah, that one's a bit of a bad one because uh, the P53 uh, works actually as a tetramer. So there's four parts of the protein need to come together to work and if one of them is messed up then the whole thing is messed up and it can't work normally mm. and you get these things called passenger and driver mutations so as Kim was saying it's tumors are mostly monoclonal so it comes from you know there's a specific mutation that's driving that cancer but say for example if it was in a dna repair gene that means that if any other mutations arise it's really it's much less likely that those will be repaired since you have a mutation in the DNA repair machinery. And so you get these passenger mutations that arise. So when you look at the cancer, if you look at the tumor and you sequence it, you'll be like, whoa, there's so many mutations here, but a lot of them are just passenger ones. They don't actually drive the cancer, whereas the driver mutations do. Um, and the thing as well about cancer is that a lot of the time we think of it, well, I don't know if we do. <laughs> I mean, that's how I was taught. It's like, you know, there's one gene and it's involved in you know, this pathway, um, which seemed to be sort of linear, but when you look at it now and when we learn about it now, it's more of a network, kind of like what I was saying in the last, um, I was about to say lecture, <laughs> in the last podcast episode. Jeez. I hope it's not, um, not I know, like a lecture. <laughs> no, that would be a bit disappointing. Um, but yeah, there's whole networks involved. And so now we're looking at, you know, cancer pathways. And so these are things like cell division, cell death, DNA repair. And another thing is, you know, with cancer, you can have these sporadic de novo mutations that just arise that cause cancer over time. But you, they're also hereditary cancers, which I'm sure everyone is aware of. Um, and this is where you are predisposed to get more it's basically easier for you to get mutations um 
if you already have, so you have, you know, two copies of the same gene and if one of them is already mutated and not working, it's much more likely that the other one can get mutated and not working as opposed to if two were working, having to mutate both. And there's this thing called the two-hit hypothesis. It's Kudsen's two-hit hypothesis. And this is where you need your two alleles mutated to develop cancer. And so if you inherit a mutation already, you know, as I said, you only need the one more, whereas in sporadic, you need the two to be mutated. And so this is things in like retinoblastoma and breast cancer where you get these bilateral tumors if they're hereditary. So for example, in both eyes, so in retinoblastoma, it's in your eye, you get, if you inherited one mutation, this mutation is gonna be already in both eyes. It's not necessarily a cancer yet or a tumor yet, but there is a mutation in the cells in either eye. And so it's easier for you to get a mutation again in your right eye and another one in your left eye. So these are, you know, both mutated and now you have cancer in both eyes and you have these bilateral tumors. Whereas if it's a de novo mutation, a sporadic thing that just arises in one eye, it's very unlikely that you're going to get two mutations in one eye and two mutations in the other. Mm. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, that does make sense. I don't know if that makes sense. So you get that sort of, yeah, those bilateral and unilateral tumors. Um, and another way that you can get altered, I suppose, gene expression is through translocations. And so there's this famous one called the Philadelphia chromosome. And the way translocation work is, works is you have uh, two chromosomes, A and B, let's call them. And you say you break one in half, you break the other in half and you swap them, match them up. Kind of like, you know, if you had like gummy bears, you have like a red gummy bear, a green gummy bear, you pull off the head from one and put it on the other, you know. Yeah, so you it's have kind of sadistic, but I think I know what you mean. Yeah, everyone, sorry, that's a thing. Do you not do that? I, I, I'm do sorry, that. I should have stopped being like, oh, that's a thing because I get, I get attacked for that. Sometimes. There's a lot of things you think are normal that I just do not agree. You, that's uh, a, people, surely you've seen it though before. No. Uh, not to my knowledge i mean it makes sense now that i think about it you know combining the flavors but uh yeah i haven't don't think i've done it myself no okay well. i mean <laughs> I, if i wanted to eat a red and green gummy bear at the same time i just put them both in my mouth at the same time it's not i wouldn't to need eat to them. decapitate it's just them to look, it's just to look at them it's just oh, to look at them that's, that's somehow even more sadistic no anyway it's the colors. okay anyways <laughs> this philadelphia chromosome um, so it's a translocation between um, chromosome 22 and chromosome 9. Um, and it's seen in chronic myeloid leukemia. So what you have is the able, ABL gene on chromosome 9 and the BCR gene on chromosome 22. And the promoter of the BCR gene gets placed in front of the ABL gene. And so what happens is you get an increase. Okay, listen, I don't know if it's, I know I changed it twice now. I don't know if it's ABL or ABL, <laughs> but I gotta, just got to probably mix between the two. But anyways, you get the promoter from the BCR gene in front of the ABL um, gene. And so that increases its expression. And ABL is a kinase that's involved in cell division. So a kinase adds a phosphate onto the substrate. Um, and that kind of drives the pathway for cell division. So if you have a, an increase in the amount of kinase there, you get this uncontrollable cell division. Your cells continue to divide. And as we said before, you know, that allows for more mutations to arise. And the cells are basically dividing when they shouldn't. Um, because usually you need to get 
messages from your surroundings to say, okay, it's actually all right for you to divide now, or no, you need to stop dividing now, but this one doesn't care. Like it just has, there's just too much of kinase present. Um, there actually is a treatment for this. It's Gleevec or Imatinib. And basically it's this drug that fits into the kinase domain of the able kinase. And so it can't phosphorylate its substrate anymore. There has unfortunately been resistance to this where either you get an amplification of able, the able genes, so the copy number increases, so you have more and more of the genes, or a mutation, as actually a single amino acid substitution in the active site. So it kind of changes so that the drug can't fit anymore into that active site, but they have been able to come up with second generation able kinase inhibitors um, that basically are able to fit into the kinase domain of these resistant kinases, which is pretty oh, cool. That's good. Um, yeah, it's, it, is, it is good news. <laughs> um, but something that I kind of alluded to earlier, but didn't actually talk about was the fact that not all cancer is genetic. And mm. this is something that I never really knew about until recently, uh, whereby chromatin regulation in cancer can actually you know, um, instead of having an actual mutation in, say, an oncogene or a tumor suppressor gene, you can have methylation of the DNA, which I actually mentioned in the last episode yeah. where, it's all yeah, if you have, yeah, it is. <laughs> if you have increased methylation, you get transcriptional silencing. So let's say if you have a tumor suppressor gene and, um, you know, a loss of function of that or a deletion of that can lead to cancer. And so if you have hypermethylation of a tumor suppressor gene, it's basically as if it was deleted or silenced mm. and it's not expressed anymore. And so in this way, you can drive cancers. And I mean, you can get cancers that are, that have almost no mutations, you know, wow. but when you, so like if you're sequencing it, you're like, oh, there's no mutation in any of the genes. But when you're looking then at, you know, the way the chromatin is regulated, actually the genes that would usually be thought to be involved may actually be involved. You just don't see the mutation. Yeah, I never um, actually thought about that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is really interesting. I never, I'd never heard about mm. that either. Um, and so you can get these so there's chromatin modifiers in your cells normally that are involved in just regulating genes and like methylating your DNA, for example. And you can get these epigenetic therapies. So things like um drugs that will inhibit metal transferases. So that's the protein that uh put some methyl group onto your DNA to silence it. The only thing about these, I, I actually don't know too much about them, but when I was thinking about it, I don't know how specific they are to yeah, I was gonna say. cancer cells. Yeah, um, I don't know how they reached that yet. The thing actually about these chromatin regulators being involved in cancer is that they were found much later, so quite recently. Mm. And so the drugs and treatments for these kind of cancers are you know, a bit further behind than other treatments, yeah. but it's only because they were found later. And I think that, you know, work is going into them to try find treatments. Um, so, and like, obviously some are already available, but I just don't know right now how specific they would be to cancer cells because ideally your treatment would be cancer cell specific. You know, you mm. don't want to be killing your normal cells if you don't have to. Um, and yeah. we haven't really reached that yet, but um, we're getting there. Um, and so, as we were saying, 
you know, cancer, there's just so many <laughs> mutations involved. So it's, it's heterogeneous. And that's why as well, it's, it's really difficult to treat because it's, you're not just treating one thing. You know, each cancer has its own mutation, even the same type of cancer, you know, you have different driver mutations. You get this sort of tree-like evolution of cells. You know, they used to think that, oh yeah, it goes from A to B to C to D, but actually it's sort of branching like, kind of like the Darwin, you know, the tree he drew for speciation. Yeah. It's kind of the same idea for cancer cells. Um, and so you get those driver mutations, which will push it and then your passenger mutations. And actually something that's really interesting as well that I didn't know is that some mutations that start cancer don't necessarily, excuse me, don't necessarily have to be there to maintain it. So you can have a cancer that was say started by a mutation in the BRCA1 gene and you can treat it, something can happen and the BRCA1 gene could be mutated so many times that it goes back to being normal, but you still have the cancer and the cancer still persists. And so that's just something important, not important, but it's just kind of interesting to note that um, even though you have one specific mutation driving the cancer, it doesn't have to be there. That's not the case in all cancers. Like there are mutations that, you know, it has to be there. Otherwise it's not a cancer anymore. Mm. But um, I thought that was interesting that some driver mutations or the mutation that starts, it doesn't actually have to be there for it to continue. Yeah, and so it can sort of so, be taken over by another more important mutation even. Exactly. Or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's not needed anymore. And so you get this sort of cancer cell selection, I suppose. You know, it depends what environment it is. It's getting blood, if it's getting nutrients, if there are therapies being used. You know, if you're using different treatments, that will drive what mutations get selected for and driven. And I think that maybe you're going to talk a bit, more, a bit about that, maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, the first thing I wanted to get into was how, yeah, the immune system fights cancer very well. Mm. Um, and of course, I had to bring the immune system into it, but it is actually an <laughs> extremely important part of cancer. Um, you'll see even a lot of the big cancer treatments used right now are based on um, the immune system and activating it against mm. cancer. Because I think an important thing uh, to remember, um, I think in immunology to talk about it quite a lot, but maybe not outside of that. But the immune system is very good at picking up on and destroying cancer. Um, I think one figure I heard, I definitely mentioned this on the podcast before, but uh, that a cancer cell arises about once like an hour or something like that in your body. A cancer as in it's, it has some sort of mutation that would lead to cancer. It's not like full-blown cancer yet. But the fact is, even yeah. though this arises about once an hour, the reason it doesn't develop into a tumor is because that cell is recognized by the immune system and killed before it can divide yeah. or, or anything, yeah. which I think is just pretty great. So as I said before, there's the innate immune response and the adaptive immune response. So the innate response is what kicks in first. It's the non sort of non-specific immune response. Um, does, so, that react, does that notice cancer? Yeah. So uh, the really? part of the innate immune system that recognizes cancer are the your, your favorite name and my favorite name as well, the natural killer cells the Ooh. NK cells. <laughs> so the way NK cells work is that uh, they have an activation signal and an inhibitory si signal. So mm -hmm. um, an active, their, their activation signal is when cells are stressed, so they know there's something going wrong, they yeah. send up this activation signal to say to the NK cells, you should have a look at me. But mm -hmm. they also have an inhibitory signal. Um, uh, like I, all cells have this, which is why NK cells don't kill all of your body. Um, and their inhibitory si signal is actually a molecule called MHC1. Mm -hmm. And MHC1 is what your cells use 
to show the adaptive immune system an antigen. To, so to say, this is a piece of a virus that's inside me, or this is a piece of cancer that's inside me. Mm -hmm. So essentially an NK cell, if it sees both of those signals won't attack. But if an NK cell sees activation, so it sees this cell is stressed, and it also sees this cell isn't showing me anything that's in it, it knows that that's something to kill. And the reason yeah. this has evolved to be the case is because cancer doesn't like to show that it's there. So one of the things cancer does a lot of the time is it mutates genes to make sure that there's no MHC1 expressed. So the cells mm -hmm. won't hold up this thing to say, look at this thing that's inside me that shouldn't be there. Yeah. So if NK cells come across a cell that doesn't present anything that's inside it, it goes, oh, that must be either some virus that's inside that telling it not to express anything or it's a cancer. I'm going to kill that. Yeah. So basically if you're expressing a stress signal and you're not showing what's wrong with you, the NK cell knows, oh, that's suspicious. That's cancer. I'm destroying mm -hmm. that, uh, which is just very cool. Uh, and then also the adaptive immune system. So once um, cancer gets to a certain stage and your immune system recognizes it as a threat and something to destroy, uh, cytotoxic T cells are important. So those are uh, cells that recognize really specific antigens. And now the problem is with tumors is that they in a lot of respects, look just like the rest of our cells because they are derived yeah. from our own body. So this is why mm -hmm. the adaptive immune system has a tough time a lot of the time killing tumors because what does it recognize that's different? So unless a tumor happens to make a protein that looks very different to a protein we'd normally produce, the adaptive immune system can't kick in and actually yeah. um, destroy it. So, um, so yeah, it has to recognize specific tumor antigens that do look quite a bit different. And then under, uh, when we talk about treatments and stuff, I will get into how you can maybe activate the adaptive immune system to make sure it can recognize some of these different proteins. Mm -hmm. um, but another interesting thing about the immune system and cancer is this idea of immuno editing. Um, so there's three phases of this so-called immuno editing in cancer, uh, mm -hmm. and they're called the three E's. So elimination, yeah. <laughs> e elimination equilibrium, and escape. So, uh, so basically in the first stage elimination is like I said, with the NK cells, it sees that that's cancer and it eliminates it. Mm -hmm. So that that's great. That's what happens most of the time. And that's why most cancer is just at this number one stage of, uh, amino editing. Um, but then because the immune system is killing cancer cells, it also acts as a force of selection. So any, so if multiple cancer cells are arising, let's say, and the immune system is killing the ones that don't express this MHC, as an example, yeah. um, then any cancer cells that uh, do express MHC or have some other way of getting around the immune system are going to be positively selected for, so they won't be killed. So they will be the only cancer cells around. So in mm -hmm. a way, your immune system is sort of selecting for more aggressive cancer types, because every time it recognizes something that's clearly cancer, it'll kill it. So it sort of encourages the cancer to find new ways around the immune system if you know what I mean. Yeah. So yeah, obviously that that's sense. a great thing that it's killing cancer, but in a strange way, it also has this side effect as a double-edged sword of making cancer more aggressive by forcing it to uh, employ mm -hmm. new strategies. So, uh, that's, so this second phase, equilibrium, is when you have cancer partly evading the immune system, so it, it can grow to some extent, but the immune system is still fighting it. It's sort of like the middle of a war. Um, and then if... And then this equilibrium phase, interestingly, can actually last decades. There are some people who have cancer 
um, for decades and don't realize it because their immune system is a constant war with it and is and the war is not being won by either side. So mm-hmm. you actually sometimes do see in patients, um, if you look in the right place, oh, you have cancer, but your immune system is actually controlling it. Um, so the reason you wouldn't normally see that is because someone wouldn't go and get a cancer check unless it gets to stage three yeah. of amino editing, which is escape. So escape is when cancer has found a way to evade the immune system um, in such a way that it can it can grow pretty much uncontrolled and the immune system isn't very good at keeping it down anymore. And only there, when the cancer grows to such an extent and evades the immune system, do you actually get any of the symptoms or anything. So most of the time, when you find cancer, it's already past the stage of being destroyed by the immune system naturally, which makes it obviously very difficult to treat. But of course, if the immune system is controlling it, otherwise, how would you ever know you have cancer? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a very complicated thing. Um, and I think it's, it's crazy to think that some of us could be fighting it right now and we have no idea at all. Um, yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. I'd never heard of that before. Yeah. Um, so then, yeah, uh, a thing I wanted to say as well in terms of the immune system and all of that, it, and it's not really just related to that, is the idea of benign and malignant cancers. So, yeah. a, um, so benign is sort of in the one location and it's not necessarily a benign tumor, for example, wouldn't be it's not always even classified as cancer because it's not really able to spread. It might just grow in one particular area and it might not cause yeah. many problems beyond that. But sometimes these are only a few steps away from com- becoming a malignant tumor. And yeah. a malignant cancer is one that can spread essentially. So mm-hmm. uh, cancer, because as we said before, they mutate, they evolve, they eventually start to um, make their own blood vessels and just and are able to do things that normal cells can't do like if they're growing on let's say an intestine they can detach and just float around the blood or and things like that and they can start tumors somewhere else so it's it's actually pretty scary the, the things yeah, they can do once they they evolve to do them i was gonna say you know with the blood vessel thing i'm just thinking how does that yeah. happen do they release a growth signal to be like blood exactly. vessel grow here exactly. or something like that yeah okay. yeah so um, <laughs> yeah, so there are certain cells in your body that obviously can express these signals to say, okay, a blood vessel should grow here. This needs mm-hmm. more nutrients, that sort of thing. And in cancer, they can evolve so that they're always expressing those things, that they're always yeah. hungry for nutrients, that they actually force blood vessels to grow towards them and away from other things. Um, because like I said, they're evolving to become selfish. They don't care what's yeah. happening to the rest of the body. Um and then another interesting point, I think, is that viruses can cause cancer. And this is obviously yeah, the case with, with HPV. And that's why everyone should get their HPV vaccine. Um, mm. And thankfully, that's uh, a vaccine. That, it was just rolled out to, um, I think, teenage girls before. And now it's boys as well. Yes, for boys as well now, yeah. Um, which is good because that obviously just stops transmission um, completely. Because it can cause cancer in men as well. It's just less common. But obviously, yeah. if you're eliminating this virus you're going to have benefits for both men and women if you're vaccinating men and women. Um, How does it work again? I know this through, if you don't know. How does so, the HP, like the virus work? I forget. So um, like with a lot of um, viruses that cause cancer, it's usually about it inserting um, yeah. a gene in an area that, let's say, increases the rate of cell division or something like that. Yeah. So they're inserting their own genetic material in the middle of another signal. And that can have a side effect like increasing... Uh, cell division because you might block like a regulatory um, protein or it could be the case where it's actually trying to amplify cell division because 
you have to remember for these oh, viruses yeah, yeah. It, it actually helps their own survival because yeah. the virus wants to make as much of itself as possible so if it gets into a cell and forces that cell to divide loads of times and make mm. loads of virus that's great for the virus but it also means that the person will develop a cancer um so yeah they can also do things like disrupt tumor suppressor genes so that the cells will mutate more and make more virus mm. um and then another interesting concept around cancer is the tumor microenvironment so what does it actually look like um around the tumor um, and it becomes this really dynamic and immunosuppressive place um so cancer cells evolve to uh, eventually secrete immunosuppressive compounds. And that's how they get to this escape phase. So yeah. it's not necessarily by hiding everything that makes them look like a cancer cell, but it's also by producing these compounds that are supposed to be produced by cells when they're trying to calm down the immune response after inflammation. So mm. obviously, you know, you don't want inflammation to go so far that every time you get an infection, you know, your whole body starts to shut down. But then these cancer cells start to hijack that system and say, oh, calm down immune system, even though it's something that should be attacked. Um, yeah. And these immunosuppressive signals can not only shut down some immune cells that are trying to destroy the cancer, but can also attract a type of immune cell called a Treg, so a regulatory T cell. We call it Treg mm -hmm. in immunology because we're cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, these regulatory T cells or Tregs are these are T cells that are specific for certain antigens, but are actually telling the immune system not to attack these antigens. So it recognizes okay. a certain antigen and says, okay, don't attack this. I'm secreting these immunosuppressive things. So you can't attack anything near this. Mm. So it actually recruits your immune system to be on its side in a way. It takes the regulatory parts of your immune system and surrounds itself with them. So that yeah. a lot of the only cells in the area of the tumor are the, the immune cells that are saying calm down there's nothing wrong here so it becomes this thing called the tumor microenvironment um and because these cancer cells divide so rapidly because they're just trying to spread and spread they actually take up a lot of nutrients um yeah. so this tumor microenvironment becomes starved of nutrients it's like there's very few nutrients around and actually activated immune cells because they're producing these proteins to kill things also yeah. need a lot of nutrients so even if an immune cell can get in there and recognizes that cancer is something to kill, the cancer yeah. has already taken up all the nutrients in the area. So the immune cell can't function properly. Um, Wait, how does, it, how does a cell get nutrients from the air? I, forget, I don't understand but, how that works. Can they uh, just absorb so, them? Yeah, well, there's all sorts of, yeah, the receptors and different things for taking up nutrients. Um, it, it all comes back to metabolism, like glycolysis and yeah. oxidative oh, yeah, phosphorylation, yeah. all that sort of stuff. Uh, which we won't get into, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's uh, that's 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 a tough topic. But yeah, that yeah, is. but this whole idea of tumor metabolism is really interesting because it looks like there could be ways to treat cancer by blocking its ability to access certain nutrients because that's really mm. what it needs to grow. Yeah. Um, so it's a really interesting new area, or trying to make sure that the immune cells get enough nutrients that they can fight the cancer um, is another approach because obviously the really? tumor is taking these nutrients away from. How the could immune you cells. do that? can't even imagine um, how you would do that yeah i think it's got to do with uh, specific like delivery systems and things like that oh, okay um that's that's just some of it anyway but yeah mm. i just think uh that, that that's an interesting side note about um yeah the metabolism and all that sort of thing and it's also been shown that uh in a lipid rich environment so if there's a lot of fat around yeah. um that really hurts immune cell function 
and there's a lot of research actually in Trinity and elsewhere um, looking into that, that as a reason why people who are obese are actually more likely to get cancer because they have this lipid rich environment around a lot of their cells and actually yeah. this makes it really hard for immune cells to function because they take up these lipids and they sort of just the way that they, they digest them actually makes it much harder for them to kill cancer so oh, it, it, it's a it's an interesting area as well and yeah. um whereas it looks like tumors can evolve ways to you know digest these fats in different ways and it can actually fuel cancer so it can fuel cancer while inhibiting immune cells so it's this really you know terrible yeah balance that happens uh oh, yeah so um i guess that's one way to start going into the treatments then how do you actually stop yeah. these things so I, I don't I won't go too much into the metabolic treatments because those are a bit uh, they're, they're very new first of all and they're also very difficult to explain for someone who doesn't have a big biochemistry background um, yeah. but yeah as they're not really out there yet uh, it's not probably something too big to talk about but uh, mm. yeah the first one I want to mention just because it's so common across many cancers a lot of people will be aware of it is chemotherapy yeah um, so chemotherapy is unfortunately it's it's quite non-specific it's mm. so it's generally a cytotoxic thing which means it's something that kills cells so yeah. the challenge is to try to deliver this selectively to cancer because you obviously don't want to kill all your cells you just want to kill the cancer if you can um mm -hmm. so a lot of the reason that these chemotherapy drugs like work to an extent um is because they they kill cells based on their ability to divide so the more cells yeah. dividing the more chemotherapy they're going to take in Mm -hmm. But this has the consequence of some of the side effects that people would recognize from chemotherapy, like loss of hair, because your hair also is something that rapidly divides. So this drug yeah. is also going to get in there and make sure that those cells die because mm -hmm. it thinks it might be cancer. Um, this is also why there are other um, nasty side effects like in, in the gut tissue, which also rapidly divides yeah. you get, um, people vomiting and all sorts of things. So it really, you know, is not ideal as a therapy, but because it is, in some way keeping the cancer at bay it is something that's used mm -hmm. often in combination now with other treatments yeah um, a lot of the time it wouldn't just be used on its own but obviously it does depend on the type of cancer and what the doctors know about the cancer at, at a particular time um, and then mm -hmm. surgery is another thing that maybe a lot of people would be wary of and that's you know it seems pretty obvious it's the physical removal of a tumor so if there's only mm -hmm. one uh, major tumor um, it can be very useful. You can just surgically cut around it um, and actually just remove the whole thing. Um, mm. Of course, it's not quite as simple as that because a lot of the time, if it's at that stage, it might be either too big to remove because it would actually cause a lot of damage to the person or it could be metastatic. It might be starting to grow in other areas of the body that you just can't even see yet. Yeah. Um, so that's why that kind of thing needs to be as quick as possible if that's the route you're going down. Um, another problem is that if you're removing a tumor sometimes you can remove immune cells along with it because there might be a lot of immune cells at, mm -hmm. at that front trying to fight it but that can be an advantage or a disadvantage because as i said tumors can sometimes recruit and often recruit immune cells to actually produce these immunosuppressive yeah. signals to actually help the tumor so it can actually so that's sometimes an added benefit and sometimes it's not it depending on what the tumor is actually doing um and then, yeah, surgery isn't always possible. Obviously, it depends on the size and the location of mm -hmm. uh, a tumor. And there are actually some recent studies that showed that uh, if you sequence a tumor uh, before you remove it, so you see exactly the genetics of the tumor. Mm -hmm. um, so if you administer an, a, an appropriate therapy that would target 
the mutations you see. If you administer that straight after surgery, um, outcomes were significantly better than surgery alone. And the reason yeah. that's thought to be is because with the surgery, you're removing, let's say, 99% of a tumor. But if there are a few cells hanging around, then administering this treatment should be hopefully enough to kill that 1%. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully none yeah. of those 1% will be drug resistant against the drug you're using. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. that's something my friend Matthew actually told me about. He told me about a few very interesting uh, um, cancer therapies. He's very interested in that stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think there's some stuff you want to get into as well. Yeah, therapy. no, just also on when you're saying, just like if there's a cell left behind that is a cancer cell, like it does contain all the mutations, mm. you know, for the cancer to progress and all you have to do is have it divide and divide and, th and then you're just back to having loads of cancer cells. And another thing is that I'm pretty sure chemotherapy doesn't, um, doesn't get to senescent cells or cells that aren't dividing. And that can be one of the challenges is getting to cells that aren't actually proliferating or dividing because, because there are, are senescent cancer cells, you mean? Yeah, you can get oh, okay. senescent yeah. cancer cells, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Okay, now that you don't know about them, I'm like, oh wait, yeah. no, I, I just <laughs> definitely don't know about up? them. No, okay, I'm pretty sure it's the same. Like yeah, yeah, it is. No, it, uh, it is. But yeah, the one of the there's a therapy for um so HER2 positive uh, cancer, breast cancer, I think. Is it yeah, it's, and yeah, there's it's a ovarian cancer, yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, they that basically they have a, a drug for it. Um, so it's an oncogene. It's a receptor that's involved in signaling uh, as part of the cell cycle for it to progress, for cells to continue to divide. And it's an a monoclonal antibody treatment. Uh, it's called Herceptin. And so the way it works is, let's say you have the HER2 receptor. It's in your cell, and usually what needs to happen is you have a ligand. So it's just a molecule that will bind to the receptor for it to turn on and be like, okay, guys, time to start getting the cell ready to divide. Yeah. Um, and what happens is if you have too many HER2 receptors, then, you know, this cell is getting more signals to divide than it usually should. And so if you get a monoclonal antibody, it's kind of just like a cover. It'll just cover it. It'll like stick on top of the... Mm. Uh, receptor so that the ligand can't bind anymore and then you don't get this cell proliferation um so that's and that's specific to her too the only thing is that because I, I was thinking about i don't think it's speci cell like specific to cancer you know it's specific to yes. her too but not necessarily to cancer cells so it'll block any other her two receptors expressed by even non-cancer cells exactly I mean, yeah, yeah. But um, it, it's used at the moment in breast and stomach cancer as well. Mm. And the, there has been mutations whereby the HER2 gene will be truncated so that it doesn't actually allow for the monoclonal antibody to bind. Mm. And it's constitutively expressed or activated, sorry, so that you continually get this cell division. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier, it's not acting alone. It is part of a big pathway and a network of, you know, it's, it's a cancer pathway. It's part of it. It's not mm. on its own. So there are downstream drugs you can use that say um, will inhibit the protein that it activates, for example. So yeah. you can use, um, yeah, so there's not just the monoclonal antibodies. So Herceptin is actually really good treatment, but if it does happen to divide, there are downstream drugs that you can use. And there's also drugs for the BRCA1 and 2 genes. I know I mentioned it earlier, but I don't think mm. I explained what it was. They're the tumor suppressors involved in breast cancer. That's why BRCA, breast cancer. Um, mm. And they are involved in DNA repair. 
and they have so many binding partners. So again, they're working as part of this big pathway, this network. And the sort of, um, the, the idea they use behind this treatment is synthetic lethality. So this is where if you have gene A and gene B is missing, you're fine, the cell is alive. If you have gene B, but gene A is missing, grand again, cell is alive. But if you have gene A and gene B, both gone, both knocked out, it's the cell is dead, basically, it can't survive. Mm. And so they use this idea as a treatment for breast cancer or for the BRCA1 mutation. So this specific mutation, it's in a DNA repair gene or a DNA repair protein. And so there are two parallel pathways. There's the BRCA pathway and the PARP pathway. So the poly ADP ribose polymerase pathway. Mm. And there are pa parallel pathways involved in repairing DNA. So if you have a cancer cell that is knocked out for breast cancer, or not breast cancer, sorry, knocked out for BRCA1. Yeah. You can get this PARP inhibitor, which will stop the parallel pathway. So only in cancer cells where BRCA1 is knocked out or BRCA2 is knocked out and you have the PARP inhibitor, you have the two DNA repair pathways not working. So yeah. DNA is never repaired and it led, leads to tumor regression. But in your normal cells where you have BRCA1 or BRCA2 that's working normally and you inhibit, you know, the PARP pathway, you still have that BRCA oh, pathway okay. working. Right. So your normal cells that's, still survive and can still repair your DNA. That's a very so smart this treatment. Way it's, yeah. yeah, it's specific to cancer cells. Um, the, the inhibitor is called Oliparib. I think that's how you pronounce oh. it. That's the PARP inhibitor involved um, for BRCA1. So that's, that's a really good one because it's, you know, specific to cancer. And that's the ideal. When you're looking for a treatment, you want it to be specific to your mm. cancer cells. Ideally, you know, you want it to be effective. You want it to have as little side effects as possible. And the way I think, you know, a lot of the time, because there's so many mutations involved, I feel like you'd need to, I don't know if they do it. They surely do is sequencing the, the, the cancer cells to see what mutation is actually in place so that they can treat it with a specific personalized yeah. therapy i think that's where we're heading at the moment you know and as you said along with a more sort of standard therapy like chemotherapy something that's not as specific and using them together um mm. to make them more effective you know more effective yeah. treatments yeah. so yeah so yeah so monoclonal antibodies like you were saying with herceptin are a massive um, thing in cancer we i talked about the discovery i think of monoclonal antibodies a bit in the science is cool episode um <laughs> But yeah, so these monoclonal antibodies, for those who didn't listen to that episode for cancer, um, a lot of those are targeting these things called immune checkpoint molecules. So these are like the breaks of the immune system. So I actually talked a little bit before when I was talking about NK cells, that they have a sort of break. They have this inhibitory receptor that if they see it, they know not to attack. Mm -hmm. And this is the case um, with um, a lot of immune cells have these inhibitory signals that if a cell is expressing it, it's like, okay, so I can't kill that because that cell is right. okay. Um, mm -hmm. So what you can do is with these monoclonal antibody treatments, you can block these um, these breaks on the immune system um, and sort of unleash the immune system to okay. do, do its killing. Now, you might think, you know, would this not just lead to your immune cells killing everything? But yeah. actually, the thing is, cancer expresses a lot of the time loads of these signals. So while your normal cells might express a few of them, cancer cells are expressing loads and they also have some yeah. activation signals um, mm -hmm. which are telling your immune system to turn on 
but because of these brakes telling them to turn off, you know, it's it's yeah. it sort of leads to the immune cells not responding. Whereas your normal cells won't have this activation a lot of the time. They won't have the receptor saying there's something wrong with me. Yeah. So it's sort of this extra check that's on the immune system, which most mostly is a great thing, but for cancer it can be a bad thing. So you're just sort of taking off that second control um mm. in, for cancer so that your immune cells can do their thing and kill cancer. And it's amazing. It's it, it was the, it's been the biggest leap in cancer treatment since chemotherapy and it's been really? it's been helping so many people it's thought to have saved millions and millions of lives already and it's not even been around that long um so it's a really interesting thing but uh, one thing i want to say about these molecular antibody treatments uh even like the one you're saying herceptin which blocks this uh her2 uh growth receptor mm-hmm. if, if you just administer one type of molecular antibody like let's say the her2 one so you're blocking this growth receptor. Because cancer is constantly evolving, all it has to do is find a way to change the HER2 receptor, yeah. like you were saying. It just needs to make it look a little bit different so the antibody can't bind, or it needs to get rid of it entirely. It might say, you know what? Forget it. I don't need HER2. I'm going to use this other growth protein. Yeah. Um, and then next thing you know, your cancer is back to being as aggressive as it was before. So mm-hmm. that's the problem. It just needs one, ev- one evolution in a way to get away from the treatment. And that's why I think it's really important in cancer to talk about combination therapies to yeah. try to tackle cancer on multiple fronts. Because let's say you have HER2 and you have an immune checkpoint blocker, a different monoclonal antibody. So you're attacking two or maybe three things at once. You know, it's very unlikely that one cancer cell is going to at the same time evolve against all three of those things. It makes yeah. it much harder. It's possible. Yeah, it makes it much harder. The more things you throw at it, the harder it is for the cancer cell to respond. So a lot of the time you actually successfully kill the cancer before it can respond. If you're, if you're quick enough with these things. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, a lot of these therapies aren't perfect. They don't work in all types of cancer. We don't even know why some of the times there's no perfect treatment yet, but consistently the best thing is using combinations. So that's something that's going to continue. I'm sure in cancer, even when it becomes more personalized. So if you sequence yeah. someone's tumor, you can see exactly what's in it. You might say, oh, so uh, treatment A, B, and C, let's use all three of these because that should work for this person's cancer. Yeah. Um, and then another thing is obviously, like I said in, in my adjuvant rant episode, uh, <laughs> the sort of adjuvant immunotherapies, which are also very good at activating your immune system against cancer. So again, that's something that is being tried in combination with these checkpoint blockers. So you're activating yeah. the immune system to recognize cancer while also taking away the breaks that stop it from attacking cancer. So it's this two-pronged attack on the immune system. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, my friend Matthew also told me about something called uh, radiation-activated gene therapy, which is pretty cool. Um, so it's a gene therapy that is selectively ter- turned on during radiation. So some cancer patients will undergo radiotherapy or they'll be given yeah. radiation to kill rapidly dividing cells similar to chemo. Um, yeah. But this is where you have some sort of gene therapy um, that's induced to to produces something to stop cancer or something like that. And it's activated by radiation. I didn't get an awful lot of details. I just said I'd give it a shout out because it sounded very cool. That does sound cool. I've never heard of that. Yeah. um, I don't know much about gene therapy in general. So I unfortunately can't really expand on that, but I just thought that was an interesting idea because you're integrating these two approaches. You're administering this gene therapy. You're waiting maybe until it's expressed and ready to be expressed in the right cells. And then you're just turning it Mm. on when you give someone radiation. So that means if the cancer, you know, 
regresses and it does, but you have side effects, you can just turn off this treatment at any point by turning off the radiation, by stopping radiation treatment to the patient. So I think that, that it, was quite interesting. Do you know, is it like, do they integrate the gene? Is it in, hardly into the genome, is it? No, uh, I actually don't in. know, to be honest. No I don't know okay, what kind of gene therapy this was. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think maybe that's something he should talk about sometime. We might might have him on at some point. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> um, that's really see. interesting. I don't know yeah. about that. He knows a lot about these very interesting therapies. So thanks, Matthew, yeah. for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's most of what I want to say about cancer treatments. Is there anything else you want to add before we no, wrap I think, up? No, I think that's it. That's right. all I have to say for you. Yeah. So hopefully now anyone who didn't before has a rough understanding of what cancer is and how it evolves and stuff. And I think that's something that I think makes it a lot of biologists are interested in cancer, not just because it's a disease that's very difficult to treat and, you know, would obviously improve many people's lives if we could treat it. But I think a lot of biologists, even just on the level of what cancer is, um, Mm. it, it sheds light on so many things in biology because if yeah. you're looking at um, a cell, a cancer cell, and so you're almost seeing what does the ultimate selfish cell want to do? So it can give you insights yeah. into how cells grow because you can look, look at those things um, a bit closer because they happen to be upregulated in cancer cells. Um, yeah. Even in, in immune cells, it's interesting to see how they function in response to cancer um, because that's very different to how they function a lot of the time in infection because it's a very different mm-hmm. situation. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I just think uh, you'll find if you talk to many biologists, you'll probably find a lot of them have some sort of interest in cancer, whether they're working on it themselves or not, because it really teaches us a lot about just biology in general, knowing anything about cancer. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think that's pretty much it for, from us to, uh, today then. Yeah. Thanks for <laughs> yeah. listening, everyone. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, see you next time. Yeah. Bye.